0: I'm going to go ahead and uh, take our Bibles, if you would, please, and turn over to the book of 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1, 1 Peter chapter 1. Again, we're so glad to have you with us. It's always great to be in the house of the Lord. We are so blessed in our country. We still have those freedoms, and uh, whether we have the freedom or not, we'd have the right to gather and to worship the Lord our authority is found in heaven not in the white house to worship the Lord however we are grateful for the freedom that men and women have purchased with their blood through the years that enables us to gather today in peace able to proclaim the word of God and his truth without fear of being persecuted we're grateful for that first peter chapter 1 we're going to begin in verse 1 going to read nine verses this morning, and then we're going to begin a, a message that I believe will go into the evening service, so you won't have to endure all of it this morning, and uh, we'll get through as much as we can, which I think will be about the first three points. Let's go ahead and look at 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. The Bible says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, to obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again into a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. Are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations. That the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen ye love, and whom though now you see him not, yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. This particular book, the book of First Peter, was written around 60 A.D. Early on in the Christian experience, or should I say in history, there was a great persecution that had taken place and it had dispersed. Believers, that uh, dispersion took place about 25 years prior to the writing of this particular book. The persecution sent believers throughout Judea and north to Samaria. By the time of this writing, by the time that these Jewish Christians, or that that Peter addresses these Jewish Christians, uh, they had found their way into Asia Minor. Some had traveled over a thousand miles away from Jerusalem. Many had fled that direction, avoiding persecution, trying to escape the kind of vehemence actions toward believers that were causing great pain and suffering to their families and friends. They sought a better life. They sought a more stable life. These people were literally strangers in the land in which they lived. They worked, they lived, but they really were not from that area. They were strangers. And Peter in the passage immediately addresses them as strangers. He says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Peter, of course, is the apostle to the Jews. But his book is being read by all believers, both Jew and Gentile. But the church itself is a melting pot of both Jew and Gentile. Early on in history, of course, in the Old Testament, God focused his attention on the Jewish people. But as we enter into the New Testament, God opens the door and says, Now it's a body, the body of Christ, where both Jew and Gentile come together as one. So, this message or this letter or epistle that's being written is written to all of us today. So we can all understand and learn and even grow from it. Paul the Apostle alludes to the very truth as well that we're pilgrims over in Philippians chapter 3. You may turn there if you like. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. We're pilgrims, we're just simply strangers, if you will. Philippians chapter 3 verse 20. He says, speaking to believers, the Apostle poses, For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, that word conversation, there's an interesting word. That word is a word that I can hardly pronounce, to be quite honest with you. It's to do my best. Politeo o ahi. There you have it. Its root is derived from the word polakus, meaning a townsman or a citizen. Therefore, it's talking about the actions of a citizen. Paul's saying basically that our actions or our life ought to reflect our citizenship, which is in heaven. Therefore, what we're really saying, he's saying to the people as we read through this book, he's saying you are simply strangers in the land in which you live. You're merely pilgrims traveling through. Because your citizenship is in heaven. And as he says here, we are seated in heavenly places, ultimately. This is a wonderful truth. Jesus also makes that clear in John chapter 17. Notice what he says. I don't know that it can be said any more simple than the Lord did. In John chapter 17, we begin reading in verse 14. Speaking of His disciples as well as those that would follow, He says, I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them. Why would the world hate us? He goes on to say, Because they are not of the world even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I don't know if it could be said any simpler or more straightforward than that. Literally, we are strangers, merely pilgrims passing through in this life. This earth, this world in which we live, is not our home. There's that song, of course, we sing, This world is not my home, I'm just a-passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. I trust that that's a truth in our lives today. But the Apostle, both Peter and Paul, and the Lord Jesus Himself clearly makes the distinction between a believer and a non-believer, stating that as a believer you are merely strangers, pilgrims passing through. Although these Jewish believers had fled and sought to avoid persecution, they tried to find a better life for them and their families, they continued to face resistance. The letter uh, of a Roman consul named Pliny Lived, uh, he was actually a Roman consul between 111 and 113 A.D. He wrote to his emperor Trojan, expressing his concern over the large number of Christians in his particular province, as well as seeking to attempt to address their, growing, uh, th- their growth. I mean, they were growing uh, in, in just by leaps and bounds. He writes, he says, Meanwhile, in the case of those who were de- denounced to me as Christians, I've observed the following procedure." He says, here's what I've done with those that have named the name of Christ, that said that they were believers or Christians. I interrogated these as to whether they were Christians. Those who confessed, I interrogated a second and a third time, threatening them with punishment. Those who persisted, I ordered executed. Now again, someone says, hey, that guy over there is a Christian. He says, fine, let me find out for myself. Runs over there and he begins to question him. He questions and threatens him at least uh, two times. And then on the third time, he goes ahead and says, guess what? You get to die if you still will not change your position. You claim to be a believer. You won't back down. Then fine, you're dead. He goes on to say, for I have no doubt that. Now listen to this. I want you to hear this good because to me it rings true of our day and the direction we're going in our country. He goes. Then those who persisted, I ordered executed. For I had no doubt that whatever the nature of their creed, stubbornness and inflexible abstinency surely deserved to be punished. There were others possessed. Uh, there were others possessed of the same folly, but because they were Roman citizens, I signed an order for them to be transferred to Rome. I want you to understand the the, the, the real problem here. He said basically. The reason, he says, just the fact that they won't budge on what they believe, because they are intolerant to our beliefs, because they won't abide in our religion, our faith, because they won't bow down and worship Caesar as God, because they won't yield to the gods of Caesar and to our nation, as a result of their intolerance and their persistence to believe the way they believe, that alone, because of their intolerance, Means that they should be punished. It's not because they broke the law, not because they did anything that was contrary to good character or integrity or ethically wrong or morally bad. No, simply because they would not yield to us. That's the direction that Christianity is headed today, by the way. We need to be very concerned, and as believers, we need to speak up and express our rights. And always let people know we have a right to share our truths. We have a right to stand on that corner and preach that gospel. We have a right to knock on these doors and invite and encourage people to Jesus Christ as well as to God's house. We have a right to say we're a Christian in the workplace. We have a right to carry a Bible where we want to carry a Bible. We do not need the authority of the government to save us. God's given us that authority and our government has... Yielded to that through the years. But I quickly see a changing spirit and attitude toward believers today. You are intolerant. You are resistant to change, you believers. Somehow you think this book has to rule and govern every aspect of your life. Even though we as a culture and a society have moved past that. You either comply with us or you're wrong for simply not being tolerant of our sins. And we will hear, before it's over with, I'm sure, the same line they heard in the Roman Empire, for I have no doubt that whatever the nature of their creed, stubbornness, and inflexible obstinacy surely deserves to be punished. I wasn't planning on telling you any of that, but I certainly feel it. And I certainly am concerned about it as I read the newspapers and watch the television and see things, reports being made. I'm concerned. I hope you are as well. Then again, if our lives are no different than the world, we have nothing to fear. Do you hear what I just said? If our lives are no different than the world's lives, then we have nothing to fear. And maybe that's why Christianity today isn't so alarmed. Because there's really very little difference. Sad, but true, I believe. Not only in many lives, but I believe at times even in my own life. Very, way too often. So anyway, in light of the present distress that these people were going through, Peter seeks to comfort them. He wants to encourage them. He wants to help them to understand that this is not what it's all about. That they are simply, as we already mentioned, strangers and pilgrims. And so what does he do? He begins to give them proof of that here in our passage. He begins to share with them these tremendous truths. And today I want to share this simple message that I've entitled Strangers. And I just want to begin to share some of the truths that the Apostle shared with those brothers and sisters in Christ that were being persecuted and fleeing for their lives, that understood what it was to be misrepresented, misunderstood, and maligned and mistreated. Because I believe today in America, and even as believers, even in our own homes at times, we can be misunderstood. And I want you to understand that when you're not understood, when someone twists and turns your faith, makes it seem like you are totally intolerant and unacceptable of everything and anything other than the Word of God, I want you to realize that is normal. You are simply strangers and pilgrims. And this world is not your home. So let's pray and then we'll talk about this. Father, we thank you, Lord, for all you've done. Speak to our hearts and help us to be faithful to you. Fill me in. Lord, use me now. Let me be your mouthpiece. Be with your people. May your holy unction, Father, fall upon us and may we know that we've been in your presence. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Now we're strangers. Why? He goes on to tell the people they're strangers, and he gives them some reasons. Number one, he basically says we're strangers because of our Father. Because of our Father. Look in verse 3. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now listen, we know that God is the Father, but we also realize and recognize as we read through the Word of God and even through Peter that God is our Father as believers. There are two opposing forces in the universe. God the creator of all things and Satan the created cherub or angel that covereth the throne prior to his fall. He usurped the authority of God and in turn he led a revolt in heaven and he was removed. Since then the battle has continued to rage between Satan and God. It is a constant continual battle. When Satan tempted Eve, it was only part of his diabolical scheme to somehow derail God's plan for the earth and for his people, those that he created. The outcome of Adam and Eve's submission to Satan was that they surrendered, they literally surrendered the world over to Satan in a sense. I'm not saying that the earth is the devil's to do as he pleases. This is God's earth. But let me tell you, the world is the devil's. You say, but that doesn't make sense to me. God is God. I know, but God also says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, He says, In whom the God, little g God, of this world, hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. He distinguishes between Him being God of the universe and the devil being the God of this world system. Because of Adam's sin, once again, Satan now rules that world system. He rules the social, economic, political, and yes, even the religious systems of our world. He is the one who dictates and determines the direction of religion, political matters. He's the one that moves people in this world because he is the God of this world system. Certainly the Lord Jesus Christ has authority in the lives of those who have submitted to him who have yielded their heart and their lives wholly and completely to Him, who have consecrated and allowed their lives to be a sacrifice unto the Lord Jesus. No doubt that God has control in that life. But God has allowed the devil to take rulership as he works his perfect plan in the lives of believers as well as those that are lost. He's seeking to bring us together willfully. We have a decision to make, a choice to make. It's up to you who you will serve. And it's up to me. With all of that in mind, is it any wonder that true Christianity always seems to find an increasingly sinful culture that is attacking and opposing them? I mean, we grow more wicked as a nation, more wicked as a culture and a society, more wicked as a world. Is there any wonder that the true believer, that that follows Christ, is going to be opposed makes perfect sense. Peter, therefore, reminds these believers. He reminds those that have fled from Jerusalem, those that have left the area because of persecution, those who were misunderstood, maligned, and mistreated. He says to them, now listen, I want you to understand, you have a different father than they have. And like all believers... They had been birthed into the family of God. In John chapter 1, verse 12, the Bible says, But as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. Prior to the new birth, like all others, these believers were the children of the devil. Let me say that again, because this is a very unpopular truth. It's one that's very misunderstood and especially hidden. Like all believers, they had been, before they had been birthed into the family, they were the children of the devil. We have this horrible misconception that everybody is the child of God today. Before you say I'm wrong, let's hear what God says. I'm not saying I'm right, because it doesn't matter what I think today. All that matters is what God says. Let's see what God says about that. Jesus Himself, in the book of John, chapter 8, verse 44, made this statement. He said to those rulers of religion, Ye are of your father the devil. Now, was He just making a play on words here? You're really my children, but you're of your father, the devil. That makes no sense. That's called confusion, and God is not the author of confusion. He said, You're of your father, the devil, and the lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. I don't know, the last time I checked, if I'd go back in my history and kind of go back through the annals of time and rethink my childhood. I've got to say that probably early on in my life, I was a liar. I said things that weren't true. I made up stories to try to protect myself. Where did that come from? From God? No, from the Father of all lives. Because, see... Although God in His great mercy and grace would never send a child to hell, never in a million years, God would never do that. That child has no recollection nor understanding of right or wrong yet. They can't make any decision toward things of God yet. They're still maturing and growing and their their abilities to comprehend and understand and apply truth are being formulated. But by the same token, the evidence of this airship, this evidence of Fatherhood and the evidence of sin that dwells in our life is very apparent right off the bat in a child's life. The distinction between the children of God and the children of the devil is noted also in 1 John chapter 3, verse 10. It says, in this the children of God are manifest and the children of the devil. Yeah, amen. Hold on a second. God's Word makes a distinction between the two. We say, well, obviously he's talking about those who are very wicked and sinful. Well, let's go ahead. Let's for a moment try to distinguish between really sinful and just mildly simple, sinful. You and I can't do it. We'd all come to a different agreement. We, none of us would probably agree wholeheartedly. One would say, well, I believe that all murders, rapists, and um, mother-in-laws... Some of you, some of you aren't laughing because you must believe that. But anyway, uh, others would say things like, well, I think a thief, I think a thief, Uh, somebody that steals and somebody that rips off money from the poor. We could come up with every distinction in the world and the truth is there would never be a standard. The fact is and the reality is that God makes the distinction because the truth is you are either the child of God or the child of the devil. There is no other option. And again, this is not a matter of malice. It's not misguided pride that prompts one to speak that or take that position. It's a mere Bible fact. There's a God in heaven. There's a devil who opposes him. There's one who seeks to fulfill a plan that ultimately brings humanity into paradise. There's another who seeks to thwart that plan and to bring them to wreck and ruin. Let me ask you, are you a child of God? And before you answer, let, me, let us consider another passage. The Bible says in John chapter 3, turn there if you would please. John chapter 3 verse 3. Again, everyone, uh, uh, most people of you would say to them on the street today, are you a child of God? Well, of course, we're all children of God. Before you answer the question, though, let's find out what God says. It's amazing how many want to make themselves God's child, but they don't even know what God says. And again, I'm not trying to be combative. I'm not trying to be cantankerous. I just want to be correct in my position biblically and scripturally. Because ultimately, your eternity depends on whether or not this book is your authority or not. Notice he says in John chapter 3, verse 3, Jesus answered and said unto him, referring to Nicodemus, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now the world has really destroyed that phrase. Born again. I mean, there's songs written about it, and they've turned it into just simply love and sensuality and all the things that go on with it. There's been movies made. There's been all kind of people that have utilized that phrase and so watered down the phrase that it has no real strength when, it makes its, when it's heard or said. But I'm going to tell you, this book is still true. And he says that except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus, being a very wise man and understanding truth, couldn't figure it out. He's thinking, are you nuts? How can you be born again? Great question, Nicodemus. How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? (laughs) Nicodemus. You know, nobody else was there, just him and Jesus. Jesus made the statement. It doesn't make any sense, by the way. Honestly, a man needs to be, you got to be born again. Well, what in the word are you talking about? Nicodemus asked the question that would be on all of our hearts. So Jesus begins to speak, and he says in verse 5, Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Now, let's read the next verse because it helps us to understand what he's referring to when he talks about water and the Spirit. He says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. We understand that birth, don't we? We've all been there, done that. Right? And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So we can go back now to verse 5, and he says, when he says, except a man be born of water, that coincides with flesh is flesh. What he's saying is, if you've ever been around a birth, and let me tell you something, it gets messy. Anybody that knows anything about births knows that there's a lot of water involved. And if you're not in the right place, ladies, when that thing decides to go, it's a mess. Born of water. It's a physical birth that he's referring to. He goes on there in the second half as we match them up, that which is born of the Spirit is spirit, and that is born of the Spirit. So therefore, he says, marvel not that I say unto thee, ye must be born again. He says to Nicodemus, it's not enough that you've been born into the human race. It is obvious that you have because you're standing here before me and asking me questions. However, that is not enough to earn you a place in the kingdom of God. To be born in the flesh is to be born into the devil's family. And that is why it is so imperative and important that we're born into God's family again. Born again of the Spirit of God. In Galatians chapter 3 verse 26 you may turn there but if you don't listen extremely close. For ye are all The children of God. I knew the preacher was off his rocker like Betty Crocker. (laughs) Remember when you used to watch those ball games and you'd say, Pictures off his rocker just like Betty Crocker. I don't know why we'd say that, but we did all the time. Hold on, the verse isn't finished though. The Lord has yet to finish speaking. For you're all the children of God... By faith in Christ Jesus. You're all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. No faith in Christ Jesus. No child. Again, let me ask you. Are you the child of God? I hope you are. Peter says, I know that you fled in an attempt to escape the cruel persecutions here in Jerusalem, only to find tremendous oppression and opposition where you ended up. But I want you to realize that this is par for the course for the believer. Because you, my friends, like myself, are merely pilgrims. Strangers in this land we live. Because this is not our home. We're just passing through. You have a different father than the rest of them. Take great comfort in that truth, he says. Today I wonder are you the child of God? Are you the child of God? I mean, you think about that. and It's easy to say yes to that question because we've been programmed to believe it. Religion across the board has taught and trained men and women that everyone is the child of God. Hold on. Remember that there's a devil who is the God, little g, of this world. Not meaning that he possesses this physical earth, but that he is the God of the world system. That the systems are guided and directed by Him. Sure, God can intervene. Sure, God can walk in and take over. That's for sure. We know God can do anything He wants. But God has permitted Satan because man turned it over to him. He said, you're in charge. Adam, you have dominion over the earth. And Adam said, that's all right. I'll give it to the devil. And that's exactly what he did. And now we see Satan wreaking havoc in our world Every tsunami and every tornado and every single destructive act that takes place in, in, in our uh, world is a direct result of Satan and the sin of mankind. God never intended to hurt man, to hurt women like this being hurt today. But we have a Father. You can't trust religion any more than you can trust The devil himself. All we can trust is his word. What this pastor says means nothing. Unless he's relaying what's said here. If it's not said here, then it has no authority. And that's true no matter where you go, what you do. God's word is the authority. He's the way, the truth the life, And today I'm wondering, is He your Father? Has there been a time and a place when you personally invited Christ into your life? When you exhibited faith in the Lord Jesus as your Savior? For we are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. And I want to encourage you today, if you're sitting there and You've never settled that issue. You've said, well, I I just assumed that I understand. How could I not understand? I grew up learning that. But now that you know, now that God has spoken, now that the Word of God has made clear the distinction, don't you think it's time that you turn to Jesus Christ who died on Calvary and admit your sin and your guilt before a holy God? and re- invite Him into your life and beg His forgiveness and ask Him to take you to that place one day and make you part of God's family and be born again in the Spirit. That would be my prayer and hope for you today. And for those who have family and friend who have yet to make that decision, let us never doubt the gravity of this truth. It affects everyone equally, no matter how good, no matter how saintly we may see them. If they've not been born again in the Spirit, they are not God's children. And they need Jesus. Father, we come to you today. We thank you, Father, for this opportunity that we have to gather today in this place. Lord, we only got through one simple point. But Lord, it's a very important point. May our hearts be stirred by Your Spirit now. May we be convicted. May our hearts burn if we are children of God for those that are lost. May we realize they need Jesus Christ. And Lord, there may be a number in this room who may have assumed that because they are part of humanity, born into this life, that they are just by proxy the children of God. But, Lord, may they recognize and realize that their sin separates them from a holy God and that they simply need to accept and receive Jesus Christ, who died on their behalf, who made payment for their sin, and then invite Him into their life, allowing His payment to be theirs. Father, You will save them, and they will be born again into Your family and become Your children by faith in Christ Jesus. With every head bowed, let me just quickly ask. Is there anyone say, Preacher, that's me and my heart's heavy this morning. I feel like someone's tugging at it. I've not settled this issue. I've misunderstood some things along the way. Just like you did. Early on in your life. But now I realize that it's Christ that I need. And I need to be saved. I'm lost. And I don't have it settled. Would you pray for me, Preacher? Would you just ask God to help me to speak to my heart and to meet my need today? Anybody like that? I'll pray for you. That's me. My heart's heavy. I've yet to settle that issue in my life. I I need to be born again. Pray for me, preacher, with an uplifted hand. Would you let me pray for you? I won't call you out. I won't draw attention to you. I'll just pray. Anybody? I may have seen a hand or two in the back. I can't tell. My eyes aren't that good. So I will pray for you, those who did raise hands, if indeed you did, but the majority did not raise hands. That means then that we claim to be the children of God, and praise the Lord for that. My question is, do you know anybody else that isn't? Will you take steps to help them? Next week we start our soul winning class. That would be a great way to begin to learn or gain more confidence in how you can truly intercede on their behalf and help them find the Lord. Maybe you could write them a note or encourage them to come with you next week and hear for themselves these truths from God's Word. Father, bless your people. Lord, meet their needs. Father, help us, Lord, to truly take heed to what we've heard to recognize the reality of this truth and realize that people are either your child or they're not. That there's only two. And those two oppose one another. And help us, Lord, to do our best to help people see the need for Jesus Christ in their life. And Lord, there may be someone in the crowd today that is lost. A hand or two may have been raised in the back. I'm not sure, but if they did, I'm praying that you'd give them the very courage they need, Lord, to make a decision on your behalf. Convict their heart of sin and the need of Christ. And as soon as the music begins to play, give them the very courage to step out into an aisle, come see me. And Lord, for believers, maybe you put a person on their heart, their mind right now as we speak. May you help them, Father, to have the courage to come to an altar maybe or even kneel at their seat or right where they're at. ask you to give them the courage, the strength, and the know-how to reach out to their family, their friend, their loved one, their co-worker. Father, we'll thank you. Praise you for it. Let's all stand to our feet, every head bowed. Mrs. Smith playing. Won't you come? I don't have it settled. Come on.